Hello and welcome to the Why Behind the What. My name is Nathan Elbert, and as always, I am so glad you are listening to this podcast today. On this episode of the Why Behind the What, I have the privilege of interviewing Megan Westra. I stumbled upon Megan's work thanks to Twitter and have been following her for a while. Megan Westra is a pastor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Born Again and Again, Jesus' Call to Radical Transformation. She's the host of the Podluck podcast, and she is an advocate for the marginalized, the voiceless, and those who need hope in this world. Her personal faith journey, as you'll hear in this episode, has led her from a very conservative Southern Baptist tradition to a contemplative faith that leads to action and fights for equity. And in this episode, we touch on centering prayer, Lexio Divina, and silence as ways to encounter God in fresh ways. One of my favorite insights from this episode is a brief comment that Megan makes about finding God in the silence. And I've often heard that in silence, we can hear the still, small voice of the divine. I mean, there's scripture verses that talk of that. Yet what she states during this episode is that in the silence is God. So silence and stillness does not mean the absence of God, but in the stillness and in the silence, the divine is. Think about that one for a while, because I have been since we recorded this. One note uh, on this episode, she does mention a couple of additional resources. One is the Enneagram, and the other is a book called Sabbath as Resistance. Uh, you've interested in those, I've included links to those in the show notes. And finally, if you've been listening for a while, can you please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts? It's real simple, uh, but it helps people find out about this podcast. If you don't know how to do it, reach out to me. I will I will show you. It's simple. It's easy. And as always, you can learn more about me, my book, writing, ways to connect with me on social media at NathanElbert.com. As always, this podcast was recorded and edited on Monacan land. And with that, here is my interview with Megan Westra. So Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I, you know, I very, very full schedule right now. Lots of going around and doing lots of things. So I'm glad we could squeeze it in. Uh, That's right. I, I have a friend on Broadway. He he, you know, his shows are canceled oh. and, uh, he was texting with me and we were like, let's FaceTime. He's like, I have all the time in the world because right. <laughs> we're doing nothing. So my schedule's open. Yep. Um, Megan, tell us and our listeners a little bit about who you are, um, and what you do, but then I'd love, because the podcast is called the why behind the what I love to get to the why about things. So why is it that you do what you do? What is it that is the catalyst for you to do the things that you say you do. Sure. Yeah. So I am a pastor and a writer and a podcaster. I'm based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I've been here for about 10 years, uh, serving in several different pastoral roles over those 10 years at a, at a congregation here. And um, yeah, most of my work kind of centers around ideas of how do we knit together our spiritual practice and the pursuit of a more equitable and just society, um, things of that nature. And um, as of about a week ago, I'm also apparently like a homeschool parent and a short order cook and uh, (laughs) all the other things. (laughs) 
Um, but that's a little bit about you know, who I am and what I do under, under normal circumstances, I guess. Um, I am pursuing my MDiv. I graduate in June with that. Uh, with an emphasis in community development. So again, kind of this knitting to together or back together, these ideas of our, our faith and our spiritual practice should have some bearing on the world around us, should uh, be doing something not just in our own hearts and our own lives, but in our communities and in the world at large. And so most of my work centers around that. Uh, the book that I have coming out in August uh, also kind of talks about those themes, runs through those themes of like what does it mean to be saved um, and what implications does that have for our public life together. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me and what I do. What is it about community development and um, spiritual practices that really drives you? What is the connection there that you see is important? Yeah, so I grew up uh, very much in like the, the, think of the most stereotypical, like conservative evangelical setting you can think of, right? Like I was the youth group kid who was in youth group like more times a week than probably most people in the church even knew that the youth group met. Um, you know, it was like Sunday yes. and Tuesday and Wednesday. And, and, and so I was super involved um deeply invested in in that kind of religious structure when i was younger and i would say like midway through college like probably my sophomore year i had been doing a lot of like outreach evangelism type things and i'm like doing like little air quotes not that listeners can see those but uh in doing those sorts of things i started to discover that there were things in the world that I, my faith wasn't big enough or strong enough to hold, right? There were, mm. there were griefs and there were pains and there were, uh, I wouldn't have even known how to name it at the time, but like systemic injustices large enough that my faith had no way to hold them. It wasn't a container that was flexible enough or big enough or um, strong enough to hold those things. And so I kind of stumbled into contemplative practices or uh, more ancient kind of practicing faith kind of haphazardly. I, I was Southern Baptist, so we didn't really have a whole lot of framework for that yeah. in the context that I was in at that point. But spent a lot of time those years uh, journaling and in silence and in solitude, you know, like leaving my dorm room and going and sitting in like the most remote parts of campus to try to like figure out what was going on. And so I think uh, through those moments of trying to reconcile within myself, how do I continue to show up in people's lives with these relationships that I've built um, when there is such, uh, such pain and suffering? Um, you know, at that point, it was through an after-school program at a nonprofit center uh, serving a lot of kids who are living in poverty in rural West Virginia. And so, like, how do I continue to show up for kids who are growing up without running water or without electricity in their homes and have a faith that doesn't just say, like, well, God's going to provide, like, <laughs> and just, you know, mm -hmm. kind of leave it at that. 
how do I continue to show up and, and know that I both can't solve all the problems here, right? Like the problems are bigger than me personally. Um, and also like faithfully attend to their lives and my own lives and what God is doing in the midst of all that, how the spirit is drawing us closer together to something, right? <laughs> to some sort of like kingdom that is yeah. already here and is not yet here fully. Um, and so taking that time to just be, be silent and be in solitude, uh, even when I didn't know how to name those things was super formative for helping me find a new path to walk on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I, I was raised in a similar evangelical conservative household. Um, and I feel like in college, a lot of that was deconstructed, mm -hmm. um, and saw faith in a much bigger capacity than just the conservative, this type of church or this type of, this type of understanding of the Bible. But, but what was surprised me and kind of even my faith journey is it was when I became a pastor and was working and preaching that the container that you were talking about to hold God, I was like, what are we doing? What is going on? Um, and I hit, I mean, I was stressed and burnt out and yeah. um, I stumbled upon spiritual, well, some of these contemplative spiritual practices um, almost by accident, similar, mm -hmm. um, where it wasn't like I was trying to sit in silence or meditate. It was, I didn't know where else to turn. Yeah. Um, and those things really healed my soul and really transformed my life. So I'd love to hear, as you kind of went through that deconstruction process, how did those practices um, revive your soul or heal it or allow you to have a more expansive understanding of the divine and of the kingdom that we're a part of? Yeah. So I think the very first thing, if I try to like put it on a timeline, right, is that I, I learned that the point of my faith is not to have all the answers. Um, so much of the way that I was uh, was spiritually formed, right? You know that we all receive our our understanding of faith and religion from somebody else. Like we we are spiritually formed people. We are people who receive stories, and so much of that for me growing up was predicated around this idea of having the answer. Um, you know, there were songs about Jesus is the answer for the world today. And there were uh, T-shirts that said that. And uh, I grew up in like the, I was a kid in the 90s. And so there was like Salty the Singing Songbook. I don't know if that uh, was yes. part of your childhood too or not. Um, but there were songs that Salty would sing, right? Like, be ready to give an answer. And and so much then of, of my spiritual formation and of uh, my early discipleship was predicated around this idea that like, well, no, you have to have answers for people. You have to have answers for yourself. And if you don't have an answer for why something is happening or why God is doing something or what's going on, then that hurts your witness. That makes God look bad. And, mm -hmm. and that's so toxic and so hard to uh, well, it's, it's impossible to s sustain for very long with any level of authenticity and, and honesty. And so I think the first thing that uh, sitting in the silence and um, kind of spending that time in, in prayer listening, not in prayer talking, 
right? Like in prayer, like listening for God in the midst of things, one of the first things that, that kind of went away was like, I, I don't need the answer right now. Like I, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to get an answer. Mm. Um, that, that the, the evidence of God's presence is not that we have all the right answers. The evidence of God's presence is that God is with us, even when there's not an answer. And so um, that's probably the first thing that was really reshaping and reforming. And um, I don't know if you are into Enneagram stuff or not, but I'm an Enneagram one. Oh, I am. Okay. okay. All right. Good. We speak the same language. Um, <laughs> I'm an Enneagram one. So so having the, the reframe of like, you don't have to have the right answer. Like I cannot overstate the importance mm. of that. Um, yeah. So that was huge. And it's still something that I think, even in the last week, right, uh, trying to make all these shifts with uh, coronavirus and stuff, like, I'm like, oh, there's another layer of I'm still looking for the certainty. I'm still looking for the right answer, um, mm -hmm. you know, knowing that exactly what to do. It's like, oh, okay, there's there's still a lot of that that's being reshaped and reformed. Um, and then I think it, it shaped or reshaped or refreshed the way that I approach the scriptures um, and find – uh, the witness of of the text. Because um, I, I had grown up being like, no, you have to read the Bible every day. You have to, like, memorize the Bible. You have to, like, have all of that together. And honestly, like, not in college, but shortly after graduation, I probably didn't read the Bible for devotional purposes anyway. I was working as a pastor, so I was reading it in some capacity for work, but um, yeah. I probably didn't read it for devotional purposes for like two or three years because I was just like, I have no idea what to do with this. I have no idea how to approach this text in any way that isn't just, well, this is, you know, God said it and I believe it and that settles it, which is not helpful. Um, mm -hmm. And so discovering practices like Lectio Divina and things like that really allowed me to come back to the text in a way that was like, oh, this isn't just like a, a hammer to beat people over the head with, um, or it's not a, you know, an impossible standard that I can never live up to. It's not something that I have to defend, right? Like, it's not like a, a fortress that I have to guard. It's an invitation into a conversation that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years that uh, continues to go on. Um, and I get to participate in that, but I have yeah. to slow down and listen and let, you know, if, if it's God breathed, right? Like if the scripture is God breathed, then I have to listen for God continuing to breathe even as I approach the text. Yeah. That's awesome. I, it's, Funny, I was in a similar vein with, I actually heard of Lexio Divina and practiced it while I was in grad school. Um, and it was great, but it wasn't until, again, a few years into pastoral ministry where reading the Bible became part of my job for preaching mm -hmm. a sermon that I realized, you know, the guilt of you need to be reading and memorizing the Bible every day from just that evangelical world. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part of in my subtext, as well as I'm a failure as a pastor if I'm not reading the Bible every day, but then exploring in a new way, Lexio Divina, 
been mm. incredibly freeing. Um, and I think it's the most profound way to read scripture. But mm. can you share what what it was like discovering um, Lexio Divina, like listening to scripture in a way that is, you know, it's different. It's listening. It's listening rather than trying to get information. And much of what we read from tweets, even podcasts, news online, it's all information based. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how did you f- experience that when you started? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the, I'm trying to think back to like, when was the first time I practiced Lexio Divina? Mm. Um, I think early, early on, it just kind of weirded me out because it was such a paradigm shifting thing of like, oh, I'm not reading for information. I'm just listening. But as I became more comfortable with it and really became more comfortable with like understanding the Holy Spirit just generally, uh, because my uh, spiritual formation was built around understanding God as father and God as Jesus. And, and like a little tiny bit of Holy Spirit, but only on Pentecost. And like, as long as it didn't show up in like too crazy of ways. Um, so I think as I got more comfortable just with uh, the, the thought of like God's spirit living within me and guiding me, which is like very biblical. Like that's like super like orthodox conservative understanding of the Holy Spirit. But yep. As I got more comfortable with that, uh, it was like, oh, this is deeply profound. Uh, in a lot of ways, Lexio Divina, as I became more comfortable with it, was very emotional for me. Um, mm. Just because I had spent so much of my life engaging in ministry or in work, um, you know, doing things out in the community, trying to work uh, for a better society, a better world, because I wanted to prove that I was good enough for God, for God's kingdom. Um, you know, even though I was all, you know, salvation by faith alone, but I have to make sure that I'm really, really good also. Um, and instead starting to understand it as like, like God's presence is here with me and that God's word comes to me to guide me that it's not something even with when I'm trying to think through like how am I going to to navigate today that God has a a word for that and has mm-hmm. guidance for that and it's so much more invitational and less uh like domineering or directional um yeah that it's like oh in this moment this is what you need to know mm-hmm. in this moment. This is, this is the word I have for you. Um, and also just becoming increasingly more comfortable with like, if there was silence in that too, right? Like if I was meditating on a piece of scripture and there wasn't anything in particular that was leaping out or, or sticking out or anything that was really coming as I sat and listened, just like, oh yeah, and and God is in the sound of sheer silence too. Right? Mm-hmm. That it's yeah, it's so all good. of those places. Yeah. It's so easy to forget that. 
that God is in the silence. Mm-hmm. We think that we think silence is absence of God mm-hmm. rather than that silence, God is in the absence. Yeah. God is in the silence, so it's not absence. It's a great right. reminder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your practice? I mean, for those who are beginning Lexio Divina or trying it out, what does your practice look like? How do you handle that? Um, or tips about tips on that? Yeah, I think that if people are getting started, um, I, I, and right now, I would say like it's really good to just practice being with your breath and just trying to like calm and still our minds right mm-hmm. now. Like especially right now. Like when we when we set up this interview, obviously I wasn't thinking like, well, how do we talk about contemplative practices during a pandemic? But uh, yep. l- life comes at you fast, <laughs> so. Uh, I think in the last week, especially, it's been so important for me. And I've been doing contemplative practices for eight years or so now, um, knowing what they were. Longer than that, if we count, like, when I was kind of stumbling into them in college. Um, But it has been so important this week even for me to just say, okay, these are the hours that I'm going to try to turn my brain off. Right. Like this is the point in the day. You know, it's 9 p.m. My phone goes in the other room. Twitter goes off like I'm not taking in any new information and I'm trying to I don't like using the words like empty my mind, but I'm trying to like center my my mind and and slow my thoughts and like really start to ask those questions of like, what can I control? What can I not control? Like of those things I can control, what is something I need to attend to tonight? Um, and what is something that like I, I cannot complete before I go to bed tonight? And and just trying mm-hmm. to like let those things go. And so I think if people are trying to practice Lectio Divina and trying to start to get into those rhythms right now, that would be the place that I would recommend people start is like just practice stilling your mind and your body before you even try to get to scripture, like work on like, how do we still the mind? How do we still the body? Practice taking deep, slow, like filling breaths. Um, And then choose a a passage of scripture that is, uh, that is familiar or is comforting in some ways. I think is a helpful place to start. Um, I really appreciate ones that, uh, I think the Psalms can be an interesting place to start. Uh, you know, if people wanted to to do some reflection around like God is in the silence or in the perceived absence, right? That's uh, Elijah in the in the mountains in right. Kings, I think. Um, that would be an interesting passage to start with. But start with something that's familiar and don't feel like you have to like read a whole chapter or like um anything like that, or even, you know, from heading to heading in the book, right? Like smaller is better. I think when you're getting started with Lectio Divina, that like start with a a single verse or a single line or don't have too much of a plan going into it. I know that that was one thing that kind of would get me off track when I first started was like, like, all right, I'm meditating on this verse. And I would get through the first line. I was like, wow, that's good. I have to keep going. And and that's that's not what we're doing here. Like, yeah. uh, 
get through what what speaks to you and and also though if you get through a whole like verse or two and you're like well that that's a whole bunch of nothing like there's nothing that's speaking to me here don't feel like you have to keep going either right like dig deep instead of broad um and be okay with the silence too and and if nothing else if there's no like word or phrase or or feeling that jumps out to you if you just are sitting in in stillness and in relative silence for five ten minutes and breathing deeply and not consuming news that alone will have a dramatic impact on your life Absolutely. yeah i found you know it's funny i started doing fix our prayer trying to start my day with a good 10 minutes of centering prayer right sitting in silence mm-hmm. um and i've found in retrospect with like when i look back at certain days the days that i do those my entire day is slower and centered. Um, it's less rushed. It's less frantic. Yeah. Even if it's even if there's stressful deadlines or crazy news going on in the world, it it has a way of anchoring me that I didn't realize it could even do. Yeah, because you don't feel that in the moment, right? right. Oftentimes, right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's stressful and overwhelming. You sit for ten minutes, you might feel a little better, but. Um, it's not like it's so profound of a spiritual experience that you're like on this mountaintop spiritual high. <laughs> um, yeah. But it does anchor you. And like you were saying earlier, this this season, this new normal that we're, I think, getting into, um, we need these anchoring practices. And yeah. so I've just found even in the last week how important centering prayer is, breathing, um, meditation, Mm-hmm. disconnecting from news and being present where I am, mm-hmm. being present to God where I am is absolutely essential to my well-being, my emotional well-being, my spiritual well-being, mm-hmm. and getting rid of anxiety and panic, which is where I want to go. Right. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. I think it really has so much to do with like, what kind of world do we believe that we live in, right? Like, and so when we can take those 10 minutes or however long in the morning um, and set them aside or in the evening or whatever, right? I'm not trying to give sure. preference to the morning people out there. Um, that it, it reshapes what we believe to be true about reality macro. Uh, Walter Brueggemann mm-hmm. writes about this a lot in uh, his book, Sabbath is Resistance. And that... If we fundamentally believe that uh, that rest and abundance are at the center of the universe, then resting and observing Sabbath or observing a, a time of silence in the morning is not a detriment to your day. There's no reason to panic or to feel like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm setting aside this time. Like I've got so much to mm-hmm. do. Because no, at the center of the universe, there is rest and there's abundance and there's enough, right? And, and so I think if I can remember those things as I like frantically like set the timer on my phone so that I'm like, all right, so this way I'm sure that I like do the full amount of time and I like don't step yep. out early, um, that, you know, that reshapes funda- something fundamentally inside of me. And we have to do that reshaping in like embodied practical ways because we have spent our entire lives being formed 
in ways that say, no, at the center of the universe, there is productivity and there is work and there is more to do and there is hustle and there is grind. And if we're honest, a lot of uh, the American church, at least the ones that I have been a part of or been adjacent to, have fully embraced that and said, like, yes, you should have your quiet time and here's your reading plan for the year and you got to get through this. And so, yeah, like if we have learned those things, if we have learned to hustle in our bodies, then we also have to learn to rest and to lean into that abundance in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I, I struggle with it as a three right on the Enneagram, the one who wants to be productive and to do all the tasks. Oh yeah. That contemplative practices don't seem like I'm doing enough. But mm-hmm. it's by doing less that I'm learning how to be. And right. that is more productive than doing 10 more things on my to-do list. And that's been a, sh- I yeah. think that's a, a lot of struggles within the, in these church worlds where it's like, well, sitting in silence, there's so many more better things we could be doing with our time. Mm-hmm. We could be feeding the poor or we could be raising funds for our building campaign and we could be memorizing scripture. But if we don't do that, we actually don't have the stamina. If we don't sit in silence and do these practices, we actually will not have the stamina to to do some of the outward mm-hmm. spiritual practices as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I hit a wall as well, right? Like I wasn't doing, I felt like I was doing a lot for God, yet I was never really with God. Um, and so, especially when you talk about the kingdom work and, creating a more just and equitable world. Mm -hmm. If we don't have the backstage behind the scenes prep and rehearsals and anchoring, when we get on stage, we won't have the stamina for the performance. Right. Right. Well, and I think it it too has to do with not just like creating this stamina, but also do we view our humanity as the beloved good creation of God that, yeah, that's good. That scripture says it is. Or do we believe that our humanity is a, a defect to be overcome? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's huge. and I think that I have spent most of my life viewing my humanity as something to be overcome, right? Like mm-hmm. how little sleep can I get and still function well, right? Like in college, I knew the amount of hours that I needed to like function the next day. And I would make sure I got just that amount and like not any more and not any less because like then I can pack more things in. Um, And so I think, you know, and and then that also shapes like what ministries do we engage in and this outward focused stuff that we try to do like, well, is it just so that we can get everybody up to their like maximum productivity level so that we are all like, Mm you know, doing the most work that we can to build the kingdom of God or at the heart of all of it is humanity created in the image of God and very good. Full stop. Yeah. Right. And like we are given vocation. We are invited to join the work of God in this world. But like before any of all that, very good. Full stop. And our humanity isn't something to be overcome or something to like despise or say like, well, this is the weak 
this is the weak fleshy part of me that I have to somehow like appease to keep this stamina mm -hmm. up. That's like, that's the good stuff right there. Yeah. That yeah. is, that is what God delights in and, and rejoices over. And so like, let's embrace that, which is really easy for me to say on a podcast with you. Very, very difficult for me to actually <laughs> live. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Totally. Can you, I want you to share a little bit about your book because I know a little bit about it, but I'd love to tell us what kind of the overview details, what you've been working on. Yeah. So, um, the title of the book is born again and again, uh, Jesus's ongoing invitation to radical transformation, I think is a subtitle, something along those lines. And, uh, it, it comes out in August It's on Herald press. Um, so basically, it's it's how do we reframe what we think of when we think about being being saved or being a people of God? Um, because for so many of us, we grew up in religious circles where there was probably like an altar call where you went down front or you raised your hand or you checked a box on a little card and then you were saved. Then you were in and end of story like you and God are good. And. Uh, inviting people to think through like, yes, and <laughs> right. Like, yes, you, you can just pray and, and God accepts you and you are forgiven because grace is ridiculous and annoying. Um, but also you're not just saved from your sin. You're saved for something. And how do we have a, a forward looking view of salvation that says, yes, there are personal implications of this. There are personal ways that I am invited into relationship with God. And also I have become part of the people of God and the people of God together bear a public witness to the world around us. And if we over inflate any of those kind of three lobes, uh, then we end up with a really goofy understanding of what it means to be be saved, um, mm. you know, so to speak. And so I spend a few chapters kind of constructing that understanding of salvation. And then because that can be really difficult to live out under like the best circumstances, like in your house by yourself or with your family. Um, I then go through in the, in the last few chapters through, uh, what that looks like when we think about politics and the environment and money Sweet. and race and gender. So, you know, like the real easy issues that everybody right. agrees yeah, on. Totally. Um, and so uh, trying to think through what does it look like to live as saved people uh, with regard to those particular uh, realms of society or, or intersections of the world. That's awesome. And share a little bit also about your podcast. It's relatively new. It is. But yep. share share with us what you're doing, what what your coming few weeks or months look like on that show. Yeah. So I started the Podluck in August. Which I um, love the name, by the way. Thank you. It's I'm so awesome. proud of it. Yeah. Um, so I had the idea to uh bring together a whole bunch of different voices and center everybody around one question and say, what would it look like if we had this like theological conversation about one topic? The first season, it was, what does it mean to be saved? So I was writing the book. So I was thinking about it a lot <laughs> and, um, and invited 
10 people, including me, so nine other people to all kind of weigh in on that question in like 30 minutes or less. So it was like TED Talk almost. And, uh, and then put them all next to each other in this season so that if you listen through the, the first season, you get a huge range of opinions on that, a whole bunch of different ways that people are thinking about that. Um, and at the beginning of the season, I did like some little mini episodes to, uh, to do some theological education, get people grounded in that conversation. Um, the next few months of the podluck will be a little different. Um, I'm doing what I'm calling the Corona kegger uh, because it seemed a little bit less like a church potluck right now and a little bit more like <laughs> raucous and, and unexpected, um, a little bit more like a frat party maybe. So, uh, I have been talking with people. There's an episode that went up yesterday, the first one in that uh, season that's talking about emotional health. Um, there's another one that I think it'll go through today. Sometimes there's like a lag from when you publish on your host platform to when it makes it into people's feeds, but it should go up today. That's uh, actually my daughter uh, talking about social distancing as loving your neighbor for kids since everybody's got kids home right now. That's awesome. Um, so there's a lot of different stuff coming in the next month for this kind of unexpected, uh, less uh, less grounded season. Like we're, we're not grounding all in one question. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing over the next uh, month or so is just kind of this, you know, bring whatever you've got to the table and we'll see. There's still shorter episodes though. Uh, I think some of them are, are getting close to that 40 minute mark, but uh, trying to still keep them a little bit shorter. Um, and then after that, we'll see. I had planned to do Matthew 25 and do kind of like an audio commentary. Awesome. Holding it loosely right now. Holding it yeah. a little loose. <laughs> yeah. And if people want to connect with you just on social media, where can, where can people find you on the interweb? Yes, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at mwestra, M-K-E, and same handle on Instagram. Um, if people are looking to do something kind of fun and social on social media, I'm hosting a virtual grilled cheese cook-off next week. So if you follow me on Twitter and you like grilled cheese, you can check that out. Um, might be one of the weirder things I've done in my life, but uh, that's where we're at right now. Weird that's but right. good. Yep. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. I, I'm on Facebook too at Megan uh, Megan Westra author page. I think um, I'm not on Facebook as much. Um, Twitter is Twitter is where people can connect with me if they want everything from theology to grilled cheesesteaks. Awesome. It's been. I appreciate the work you're doing not only in Milwaukee but um, in the social media land. That's how we got connected, and so I appreciate your podcast and Twitter feed and the voices you are amplifying as well as uh, advocating for. So I'm thankful for the work you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm glad you're on this podcast today. Yeah, it has been great. Thanks so much for having me. And so friends, as you discover the richness of Lexio Divina, as you journey with a faith that takes you to places you never thought imaginable, and as you discover the divine within the stillness and silence, may you have peace. May you have calm, and may you have happiness.